Welcome to Eczema Breakthroughs, brought to you by Global Parents for Eczema Research, or Cheaper. This show features conversations between parents of children with eczema and the world's leading scientists and researchers who study eczema. Global Parents for Eczema Research is an international network of parents that advocates for better treatments and management options for children with eczema. Jeeper is led and comprised of parents of children with eczema and was formed in 2015 to address the critical need for research that answers questions of importance to patients and families. Learn more about Jeeper and subscribe to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. So I'm so happy to introduce our guest today, Dr. Jonathan Silverberg. He's a professor of dermatology at George Washington University. Dr. Silverberg's research interests are wide-ranging and focus on evidence-based treatment for eczema, burden, and comorbidities or other conditions associated with eczema. You may remember Dr. Silverberg from last year's More Than Skin Deep meeting where he kicked off our day with an excellent overview of eczema and existing and emerging treatments. He is also the chair of the Revolutionizing Atopic Dermatitis Conference, which is a global multidisciplinary meeting that happens every year. And this year, we were excited to collaborate with him on that meeting. One thing I'll say about Dr. Silverberg is that he may honestly be the most productive researcher on the planet. This year alone, I think he's already published 30 plus articles, and we're only four months into the year. In his career, he's published over 600 publications. In addition to all that, Dr. Silverberg has five children. Is it five or is it six? Six. He has six children. I'm convinced he just doesn't sleep. And so with that, please join me in welcoming today's guest, Dr. Silverberg. It's great to be here. So we heard from many patients at the More Than Skin Deep meeting last fall that they were either currently using oral steroids like prednisone or had used them in the recent past. And it seems patients are commonly prescribed this therapy still. Yet the International Eczema Council recently published a paper discouraging their use. And you made the same recommendation in the talk last month at the Revolutionizing Atopic Dermatitis Virtual Symposium. I wonder if you could just talk to us about why oral steroids are problematic and help us understand when, if ever, oral steroids should be used to treat eczema in children. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, arguably one of the most important questions that comes up in the management of atopic dermatitis. And really, the background of why steroids are used so much is, uh, one, the way the regulatory stuff used to go years ago. The Food and Drug Administration was a little less restrictive in how they would you know, assign labels or indications to different medications. So they gave this incredibly broad approval that systemic steroids, oral steroids could be used for a, a whole sort of range of inflammatory disorders. And so within that, atopic dermatitis or eczema fits, even though it was almost never studied uh, well in this disease. In fact, there's very, very few studies that actually looked at the efficacy or the safety of oral steroids in, uh, in eczema. And so, that, so that's one issue is that technically they're, they're on label, they're approved for use in eczema and other inflammatory disorders. The real issue though is that they're dirt cheap. And because they're so cheap, there's a bit of an incentive on the part of payers to try to force those or to, you know, to certainly not discourage their use. On the flip side, when you look at the efficacy, they work and they work fast uh, and very robustly when dosed appropriately. But when you look at the side effect profile, uh, oral steroids, it's arguably one of the worst side effect profiles of any medication 
that we have, and yet it's also one of the most commonly used medications that, that we have. So it's, it's a strange disconnect, and I think a lot of it is based more on the cost aspects than anything else. If you look at the label, uh, you know, just the, in terms of what are the well-recognized adverse events that come up with oral steroids. There's actually very few studies looking at the value of steroids, systemic steroids in atopic dermatitis, but across all of the different diseases where it has been used and where it has been studied, you find the more common things that come up would be things like osteoporosis with long-term use. There's flux that comes up, obesity, diabetes, you know, raises the blood sugar, mental health issues in terms of depression, or anxiety being worsened by systemic steroids. And, and these are not as uncommon as clinicians might believe, although again, because it's not formally studied, you know, it just there's, there aren't great numbers to point to. It will shut down with long-term use the adrenal glands so that your, your body is not able to make its own internal production of steroids, and that can have dire consequences in, you know, in terms of not being able to fight infections properly. There's uh, high blood pressure, nausea, vomiting, you know, all kinds of inf increased risks of infection, uh, increased risks of fracture. It slows the growth of children, hopefully not irreversibly, but it does. Uh, and a variety, I mean, I, the list just go, keeps going on and on that we could talk about. And yet, despite that, because they're cheap and they're rapidly effective, they are used very commonly in short courses. This approach really evolved before my time, probably before all of our times, because it's been going on for decades. But the, the idea was, well, okay, look, we, we know that long-term use of the steroids really, really bad, right? No one's going to deny that. So why don't we try a compromise? Let's use it short-term, right? We'll use it a week for a week at a time, maybe up to three weeks at a time. We'll get that quick, robust benefit early on, and then we'll stop, and, and we don't have to worry so much about the long-term side effect. There's actually a recent study that was published in a British Medical Journal a few years back that looked at the safety events that come with short-term use of systemic steroids, and they actually found higher risks of fractures, uh, blood clots, and uh, severe infection. And that's with the short courses that supposedly are totally safe and have no problems whatsoever. So when you look at that safety profile, it's really not, doesn't look that good. But, you know, if you go back 10, 15 years ago, what else was there, right? We didn't have some of the newer therapies that are available now or, or all the amazing things that are in the pipeline and growing for eczema patients. So clinicians felt limited, and so this is what they reached for. But certainly in an era where we now have more effective, safer treatments, I, I think we have to really revisit um, the, this wanton use of systemic steroids and think about, how do we stop this and how do we minimize the safety events and how do we minimize the long-term complications for not just our eczema patients but for all patients with inflammatory disease? Thank you. That's, that's really helpful and thorough answer. I guess, is there any place for systemic steroids in the treatment of eczema at this point or should, should these really be retired? In a perfect world, uh, my opinion, they should be retired and we should never have anything to do with them ever again. That said, we are not in a perfect world and there are patients who struggle and we have a hard time getting control of their disease. But if it's going to be used as a short course one time, make sure it's one time only and that there is an appropriate 
and safe long-term therapy that's going to follow. Uh, and so I think that idea is not unreasonable, uh, but it's something that I see, unfortunately, with my patients all too often, that clinicians will reach to the short-term fix in what is a very long-term disease and don't take that next step of what will the long-term plan be. And so I think if patients are taking a short course, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not good, but it is, it's not unreasonable in some select scenarios, provided that there is a long-term solution that is in, in the waiting, you know, and, and we'll follow it. Thank you. So we were just chatting um, during the discussion, and I'll share that most of the attendees of today's call have used systemic steroids for their kids. So that's just how common it is, just to share. Yeah. So the next question, I, I know your research has shown that there's many related and downstream health issues that develop in people with eczema. And you've done this by looking at large data sets to find those associations. So these include mental health impacts, things like anxiety and depression and even more serious issues, as well as increased risk of infections, cardiovascular disease and things like that. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about, you know, as parents, how can we intervene early to head off some of these downstream issues? And then I also wanted to ask, knowing what you know about this much larger and deeper burden uh, of eczema, how does that impact how you approach um, care for your patients? Yeah, so those are great questions. Um, I, first, I would like to preface, you know, in all of this research, uh, the intent is never really to uh, scare parents or, or patients in any shape or form. Uh, I, I, I think that's obvious, but I just wanted to make that clear. But I think it's in line with what so many patients and parents already know, which is that it's not just eczema. And what do I mean by that? I have so many patients and parents come to me who will say that they've gone to other docs, clinicians, and they were told, oh, it's just eczema. Oh, yeah, just put a little steroid on and you'll be, everything will be fine. And maybe in the milder forms, it's just eczema. But certainly as you get into the moderate to severe forms, it's more than just eczema. You know, it is something that is debilitating. It is something that can have all kinds of problematic consequences in terms of quality of life and psychosocial distress and anxiety and other issues that come with the disease. These are the things that patients and, you know, caregivers are experiencing on a routine basis with more difficult cases. There's the aspect of really doing justice and really properly conveying the severity of what this disease can be for those who are experiencing at that point in time. So right, not just something that might be downstream 30 years later, but even the idea of mental health symptoms, symptoms of depression, or symptoms of anxiety that can happen um, in patients with atopic dermatitis. That's not just some loosey-goosey association where, you know, if you have eczema as a kid, when you're 30, you may develop depression and anxiety. Having bad eczema means you have depression and anxiety. And, and it doesn't, you know, patients, you know, don't know what to make of that sometimes. It doesn't mean that they're crazy. It is part of having atopic dermatitis. So there are some of these, what we would call comorbidities or, you know, downstream connections, which are not so indirect. They're part of what it means to have bad disease. Then there are those other connections, things that, that are starting and really early on in their understanding of connections with heart disease and things like that. 
It is not by any stretch all patients who have atopic dermatitis who are going to develop this. In fact, the overwhelming majority of patients with atopic dermatitis, even lifelong disease and even severe disease, will not go on to develop cardiovascular disease. Yet there's something about this small subset who does. Why? And so we're at that early stage of really understanding what might be the mechanisms or how might we change our treatment approaches to try to prevent that kind of stuff down the road. But we're still pretty early in that type of research. For the, the more immediate, you know, associations like pain or depressive symptoms or anxiety symptoms, it's clear that getting tighter control uh, of the, the skin disease, improving the itch, improving the sleep, will have almost immediate benefits in terms of mental health, will have almost immediate benefits in terms of reducing the risk of getting skin infections, you know, and reducing the risk of having, you know, skin pain and other, you know, manifestations of the disease. So there's a clear indication that we want to aim for tighter control, better control, and that we don't want to just settle on suffering in silence or, or mediocre uh, you know, success in terms of treatment. In terms of those longer-term associations, though, I think it may very well be that if we can achieve good long-term control in patients, especially in those formative years, that we might be able to reduce the risk of getting potential heart, you know, disease, cardiovascular risk factors 30 years later, but we haven't seen that research yet because it's that's a much harder type of study to, to run, but I, I think it's something that you will start to see more and more of this type of research evolve as there is a greater interest taken in atopic dermatitis. Thank you. Yeah, that's really helpful. And one thing I take away from this research, just to add to that, is the importance of getting the eczema under control in whatever way you can, not to undertreat, to really take that seriously. Absolutely. Um, because we absolutely need to... Uh, back off those symptoms in order for these kids to not face these additional risks. Absolutely, and I'm you know I'm glad you brought that up because I face this this uh, scenario sometimes. You know, as a clinician, my treatment goal is itch free and and skin clear. I may not be able to always achieve that goal together with patients, but that's what I'm aiming for. And sometimes patients and caregivers have suffered for so long with bad disease that when they get 50% better, they say, this is a miracle and I don't need to do more because I'm happy with this. And it may very well be a miracle because, you know, considering how bad some of these cases can get to begin with. But then at that point, I have the next step of the conversation to say, look, you know, of course, it's a shared decision. It's something that you have to be comfortable with. But, you know, there is evidence that aiming for tighter control and going for even better results may have this better effect long-term uh, on health. And I think that's so important not to settle um, on, you know, 50% better, but to try to aim to getting as close to clear as possible. Yes, thank you. And I think, you know, really understanding the true burden of this condition really shifts, um, can really shift your thinking on how aggressively to tackle um, something which may seem like a superficial skin condition at first glance. I want to just check to see if there's any questions from participants on the line. Um, my question is, we talk, you've talked about a lot of the comorbidities. 
but you've also talked a lot about oral steroid use and I'm wondering if um, a lot of the comorbidities like mental health and heart disease, is it a direct attribute to the atopic dermatitis or is it due to the use of steroids to treat the atomic dermatitis? Yes, um, it, it, is, it is almost certainly both. Um, there are certain connections which seem to be direct and there are certain connections which seem to be related to the oral steroids or other medications for that matter and there are some that are probably a combination of both. Uh, so as an example, um, you know, there's one, one thing that can happen. Fortunately, it's, it's not in all patients, uh, but there, you know, in the old literature, there was a connection made between bad eczema and cataracts or bad mm -hmm. eczema and glaucoma. And does that mean that everyone who gets eczema is going to get cataracts and glaucoma? No, absolutely not. But as it turns out, the strongest risk factor is not actually the eczema itself. It's the long-term use of oral steroids. And that is a very, unfortunately, well-established side effect of oral steroids. So that's an example of something where it's the steroids much more than it is the eczema. Um, but then, of course, there's other issues like, you know, discussion, for example, of asthma or food allergies. You know, the, the yeah. field has swung sort of the opposite direction than we used to think. You know, once upon a time, we used to think that eczema was purely an allergic disease. The allergy part came first and then drove all of the inflammation on the skin. And now we're seeing when the skin barrier is broken down, that's going to allow a whole lot of allergens from the outside world to cross past the skin and set off the immune system and cause food allergies and airborne allergies, etc. So now we're seeing a, a connection there where that's not related necessarily to oral steroids, but that's a direct connection to the eczema. If the barrier is impaired, that's going to lead to a greater risk of developing food and other types of allergies. So it's a bit mm -hmm. of a mix. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about the widespread use of oral steroids and how they're, they're really probably not a good idea in most scenarios. Similar to that question and another controversial topic, I wanted to ask you about antihistamine use to treat itch, which is also very common and I'm sure there's lots of parents on the call who have been prescribed or told to use antihistamines for their kids. But we know there's just not much evidence that antihistamines actually help itch. And you noted at the American Academy of Dermatology a couple years ago um, at a lecture that I attended that the use of antihistamines may be related to attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in kids. So given those concerns, should antihistamines be used in children with eczema? Or maybe you could just talk generally about this association. Yeah, to say that this is a controversial topic is uh, putting it mildly. So uh, oral antihistamines are the most commonly prescribed oral agent for eczema, period, at least in the United States from the data that have been published repeatedly. There's the sedating type like Benadryl or Atarax. There's the, the non-sedating types, Claritin or Zyrtec and things like that. And, um, you know, it's not even clear to me how it evolved that they're used so commonly in this way. But they are, and, and the question is, what benefit do they have? You're absolutely right. The data have been looked at repeatedly, and no clear indication of any value to helping with itch. Now, you, know, you always have to be careful whenever you talk about something like evidence-based medicine, this idea of 
what does the evidence show? While really none of the trials showed clear benefit, every once in a while you'll find patients who swear that it's working absolutely beautifully. So as much as the, the literature and the science doesn't match that, but if the patient really or, or caregiver is noticing that value, we can't discount that either on an individual basis. So it's a, it's a fine balance there. All of our guidelines really discourage the use of antihistamines for treating itch in atopic dermatitis because that's where there's really no extra value noted. They also discourage the use of antihistamines for treating the lesions, you know, the redness, the inflammation, uh, thickening skin, etc., of atopic dermatitis. Where our guidelines are a little bit more permissive, and I shouldn't say that they encourage it, but they're a little more permissive, is that the use of antihistamines, particularly the sedating type, to help children or, or, or adults fall asleep because they're having such a difficult time falling asleep and staying asleep. And so there, there is evidence to show that their sedating effects, in fact, work. They sedate patients. But the question then becomes, all right, if that's true, well, all right, there's at least some theoretical benefit or maybe, you know, real benefit of using them uh, efficacy-wise. What does the safety look like? And, you know, look, these medications made it over the counter for a reason. These are overall incredibly safe medications. They're also not that well studied. Uh, in these, you know, with their chronic use in very high doses in patients with allergic disease. There was one study done in Europe, so, you know, looking at children with atopic dermatitis who had symptoms of attention deficit disorder or hyperactivity disorder. The only risk factor they could identify was the use of antihistamines. That was a very provocative conclusion, but what it's saying is, look, this may actually help for sleep and eczema, but that's one of those downstream things that it may actually lead to higher rates of you know, concentration issues, attention deficit disorder. And there's actually some literature showing that when you go to the higher doses, especially in older adults with the antihistamines, that their effect is actually much greater than just antihistamine-based. It's actually hitting many other pathways in the brain and may actually cause cognitive impairment in the older population. So as a general rule, I never prescribe or recommend antihistamines to any of my patients. So first and foremost, if you treat the underlying inflammation adequately, usually you don't need those additional treatments. Now, it's not always easy to do that, so sometimes you still have to have this adjunctive uh, treatments. But I always will aim to try to get at the root cause first and foremost. Uh, but if I need to sedate a patient, there's actually some great literature out of Japan that has shown that higher doses of melatonin work beautifully in atopic dermatitis, actually have some modest benefit at improving the eczema itself, not because it's treating the inflammation, but because if you get folks sleeping better, they're not going to scratch in their sleep as much, and they're going to feel rested, and they're going to have better quality of life, and that's going to ultimately show on the skin as well. And so you don't need to only sedate with the antihistamines and run the risk of the side effects. Now, the other thing is that the antihistamines do have value if a patient also has hay fever or food allergies, which there the preferred choice of treatment is antihistamines. So it's a complex conversation, but if a patient is not treating their asthma or their hay fever, then I almost never recommend the antihistamines. And in fact, one of my treatment goals for many patients is to get them off of the sometimes insanely high doses. I just, you know, I had a, a child that I was seeing a few months ago. Child weighed something like 50 pounds and was taking 100 milligrams of hydroxyzine, which is Atarax, 
four times a day. I mean, that that's way beyond what the adult dose should be. It should have never evolved into that situation. And one of my treatment goals is actually how to get the child off of the antihistamines. And interestingly, uh, in that particular child, um, not only were we able to get him off of all his antihistamines, we were able to also get him off of his Ritalin for his, you know, diagnosed ADD, ADHD, and it's also his sertraline for his diagnosed depression. So I'm not saying all cases of ADD, ADHD are that simple in children with eczema, but, you know, you have to understand these connections are, can be very direct. And if we can achieve tighter control of the skin disease, we may not need to treat these mental health issues. Right, and reduce the cocktail of meds that so many of these kids are on um, as a result of kind of imperfect options with bringing Absolutely. Hi, and thank you for giving us a little bit more time. Um, I had a question about the immune profile and if there's evidence that steroid use shifts the immune system to a TH2 dominant profile. It's, it's a good question. It's a very advanced question, obviously. We know that in the immune system of an eczema patient, that it, generally speaking, is more skewed or biased toward this type 2 cytokine profile. And that's what's driving all of the allergic disease and the eczema. Does using oral steroids worsen that? Does it you know, skew it even more so that you have even more type 2 cells turned on, more type 2 inflammation? We just don't know. The data that we have right now says the opposite. The data that we have right now shows that when you use, whether it's topical steroids, and there's really no great studies for oral steroids, but when using at least topical steroids, that because you calm all of the inflammation down and the patients get better, um, that you reduce the type 2 inflammation. But that's not exactly what you're asking. It's a sophisticated question you're asking because that just means, look, when you clear the skin, everything gets better. That might just be a short-term phenomenon. We don't really know what happens long-term or what happens sort of internally that over time, a lot of that TH2 skewing, so to speak, that you know, activation of TH2 uh, pathways goes away and does calm down. And so that, you know, that, could theoretically happen with systemic steroids, but no one would ever use them long enough to accomplish it. So I think it's, we don't really know the exact answer to your question. Um, I don't think, and this is a, a guess, I have to preface by saying it's a guess. I don't think that the systemic steroids will skew the immune system more towards T helper 2. What I do think it's going to do is, because of this up and down and this rebounding effect that happens with steroids, where you use it, it's great for a little while, and then immediately it just comes back with a vengeance, I think that's more of a problem. This up and down, this instability of the disease, I think doesn't bode well for anyone's immune system. And so, again, it's not about a steroids per se, but it's more about how do we safely achieve long-term control of this disease. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up. We got a few minutes left, and this is the final question, everybody. Um, and it's one I like to pose to all of our guests because we are in an era when the field of eczema treatment is rapidly changing, and it's a hopeful time. It's an exciting time. I think there's going to be a lot more solutions for patients in the near term, safer, better treatments. So I wanted to ask, what is the most exciting research happening right now related to eczema? and or you can choose what is the future of eczema treatment. Sure. I'm happy to take the most exciting, and I think there's sort of two, two areas. There's so much cool stuff going on. 
But I think that the big two are, one, there is a now a finally a push to studying strategies aimed at actually preventing atopic dermatitis on a wide scale. You know, because with epidemiology, we always look for risk factors, but it's always hard to translate those into something that could be done that's cheap and safe and, and could be done by the masses and maybe reduce, you know, who knows, millions of cases and preventing them. And finally, we're in that area now where there's research aiming to understand that. We don't have all the answers. It's still pretty early, but I think it is super exciting that we finally are working on prevention at the mass scale. Uh, the other thing is, as you already alluded to, I mean, it's, it's just a therapeutic pipeline right now. The development and the application of drug development for eczema is just amazing. And we know that not all of the agents that are out there or are being tested right now are going to make it to market. Not all of them are going to be home runs. But right now we have nine or 10 medications, topicals, orals, injectables that are in phase three. They're just at the cusp of being approved. In the next five years, we may have 10 new treatments to discuss, each one looking better than the next. And we're going to have to figure out how to sort those out and, and you know, which medication is most appropriate for which patient. But I think that finally have been able to translate all of those years of, you know, basic science and translational and clinical research into new therapeutics that really are able to, to treat, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And that to me is just so cool. And I, I think that's going to, we're going to see active drug development in atopic dermatitis probably for another 10 to 15 years at least. I'd love it if we could find a cure. I don't think we're there yet. We finally have treatments that really work for tougher cases. We're starting to see non-steroidal topical agents developing, non-steroidal oral agents developing, and it's really cool. Thank you. Agreed. It is a great time um, for the patient and parent community after so many decades of really nothing. So everybody, I hope you are as excited as I am about all the wonderful and um, effective treatments that are coming. So with that, that concludes our time today with Dr. Silverberg. Please join me in thanking him for giving his time to us today. Okay. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Silverberg. Thank you. You've been listening to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast. To learn more and join Global Parents for Eczema Research or to subscribe to this podcast, please visit us at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast.